Welcome to I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. Today we're talking about well-being in the kitchen, and joining me to chat through this important topic, we have Alex Preston, AIH, Amy Stoyle, MIH, and Ben Purton, FIH. As always, a massive thank you to all three of them for giving up their time and opinion. Don't forget, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, just reach out to me directly at the email on the show notes. But for now, let's go and hear about well-being in the kitchen. Hello and welcome to the next episode of I'm In, the Institute of Hospitality's official podcast hosted by me, Phil Street, FIH. And today, we've got a subject that's on everyone's mind, and if it's not on your mind, it needs to be on your mind, and that is well-being in the kitchen. And we're going to look at the past, present and future of that, but I'm of course not going to do that alone. I'm once again joined by three more wonderful humans from within the IOH membership, who have all very kindly given up their time to have this chat with me today. So first up from within the fellowship, uh, we are welcoming back Mr. Ben Purton. This is the second time on the show. Second time, second time. Yeah, and you're you're obviously a super experienced chef across a great deal many types of businesses. Uh, but what are you up to at the moment? Uh, yeah, and it's, it's great to be back, Phil. So I'm, I'm currently now, uh, I've gone back to being a student. So as I've, as I've been preaching, I think on the last podcast and virtually everyone else I speak to, my world is all about sort of continual learning or how, how the world that we work in is about continual learning. So I've gone back to uh, the University of West London to do a master's in luxury hospitality management. So to bring nice. my, my experience in that side of the career to a more of an academic side. So that's, that's kind of, that's kind of taken up a fair bit of my time. And then the rest of the time, I'm still running my consultancy business. So I'm doing a few days a week now down at the Tottenham Hotspur or a few days a month down at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, working for their their sort of super premium area. I'm back in the kitchens training chef apprentices. And in between all of that, doing lots of stuff I can to just try and help other businesses that I've worked with in the past sort of be the best the best they can be, really. So, yeah, just trying to get out there and, and give as much back as I can at the moment. Nice. I love how you're uh, putting your uh, kind of money where your mouth is on that that continuous learning yeah, I think I think sometimes we can, and and I think as we'll probably mention during the during this well-being chat, it's all right to be out there saying this is how things should be done, and this is this is how how we should all live our lives. But uh, I, I was I was telling everyone that they should always be looking for additional ways to to grow their academic side and grow their learning, and then realise that I think you're doing it by by the day in day out stuff that we do in our worlds anyway. But there's a uh, there's nothing that beats going back and doing the pure academic side and and easier for me now to tell other people that's what they that's what they sh- probably should be looking at on a continual basis based on the fact that you're, you're now doing it again yourself yeah yeah yeah. well i uh, thank you very much again for for coming back on to, to talk about this and then from within our mih ranks we have amy stoyle who is head of pastry at the quite marvelous goji restaurant in london welcome amy it's lovely to be here really excited to be involved it's my first time doing a podcast so yeah really excited to be here Fantastic. No pressure then. Just relax. It's all fine. We'll, we'll look after you. But yeah, really interesting subject, I think, for, for you, obviously, because you're you're kind of, you're in the melting pot almost as we speak. As you said, at the end of this show, you're jumping straight into service. So thank you very much for, for making time. But tell us a little bit about Goji. Uh, yeah, so it's a brand new opening in Trafalgar Square. It's a fine dining Chinese restaurant. The first Chinese restaurant I've worked in. I come from traditional sort of French, British patisserie background, worked in, you know, modern European restaurants across London, just found myself at Goji and it's fantastic. But yeah, quite the challenge blending my background with the sort of Asian 
ingredients and Chinese style mm. of desserts. So yeah, it's been really exciting. I was going to say that must be quite interesting. And, and I kind of coming back to Ben's point about further growth and development, if you're kind of putting your head into something that's new for you. Yeah, so it's definitely it's definitely been a learning experience for me. And I, I completely agree with Ben. If you're not learning anymore, then you shouldn't really be in the industry anymore. I mean, every day is a school day, as they say. Mm. And I learn a phenomenal amount from actually my apprentice and the people around me who have more experience in Chinese cuisine and can actually sort of teach me as much as I can teach them. Yeah, so it's just, it's been really exciting. I've enjoyed it immensely. I lived in Hong Kong for two years, so I have a oh, little nice. experience of the flavors. But yeah, yeah it's it's definitely been a, a whirlwind of learning the past uh, 10 months. Yeah, well, I mean, I can absolutely testify to that it's definitely working because the food is exceptional. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, we, we try hard and obviously our exec chef is phenomenal. Uh, chef Tong was the exec chef of Hakusan. So he knows exactly what he's doing and exactly what he's looking for. So his guidance has been phenomenal. Great stuff. Okay. Uh, And then finally, from within our AIH members, we have Alex Preston, uh, who is a, well, maybe you should tell us because what I've written down, Alex, is that you're a drinks consultant, which is a great title for anybody, I think, and owner of Meat, Bread and Wine, or sorry, Meat, Bread, Wine. Uh, Yeah. uh, Thank you for having me. Yeah. No. So I co-own a restaurant in Brighton uh, called Embers as well as starting up uh, the drinks consultancy side. And then I'm currently, I've just come back and I'm still in plaster coated trousers uh, from doing all the filling work earlier today. <laughs> that sounds like an, uh, a title for an album, doesn't it? <laughs> Probably. Oh, that's that's um, going to be your album. Yeah, so t- just tell us a little bit about your concepts. Yes, yeah, so it's, I've, my dad was a greengrocer's uh, and from everything that I do, it's it's kind of always been there in the background. So from there, it's like just a deli of stuff that I really, really like. And I always really wanted to have a wine bar. And I realized that if I was going to make a wine bar, you're kind of already a deli at that point anyways. So uh, in for a penny, in for a pound. And yeah, now I've, it's all been sort of an accumulation of most of my life just thinking about what I wanted to do and about a year of manic planning and about two months so far of even more manic doing. Right. Excellent. Well, look, I, 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 we'll all have to get ourselves down to Brighton when you're fully up and functional and come and test your wares. Well, I've got your, all your emails now, so that should be pretty easy. Excellent. Well, you're all very, very welcome. And I, I, as I said at the beginning, I'm very grateful for you giving up your time to have this chat. I'm going to come back to you, Ben. Uh, you have answered this question before, but it's always interesting to see if things have changed. But uh, why did you say I'm in to the IOH? Yeah, and I think I think my, my answer is probably going to be fairly similar to before. But I I am where I am today based on IOH members in the past being my my kind of guiding lights, and some of them are still my mentors within industry now. And I think it's a place where you look around and see so many other people doing. Uh, I think we were saying it yesterday, doing the right things at the right time, but even when no one's watching. Uh, so there's just people out there. They're not there for the glory. They're not there for the accolades. Some of those also come along, which is nice. But it's really there to to sort of be surrounded by people and and being in, in an institution of people that are just there to help and support and develop others. And I've, I've been working within the IOH, probably by association, for for many many years, if not all of the years of my career. 
without really sometimes knowing about it. You were guided and directed by the, by these people. And only mm-hmm. when I set up my own business about six or seven years ago, I realised that by association, I'd been I'd been linked to the IOH, but I'd never been an official member myself. So joined at that time and carried on the good work, and then became a fellow three years ago, uh, just as just as kind of COVID started. And for me, it's all about having a having a platform and using that platform to give back as much as I can. Because, like I say, if it wasn't for a lot of great people in my career, but lots of them also being IOH members, fellows, I don't think I'd be the person I am today and, and in the position I am today. So huge gratitude to the IOH for everything they've done for me. And I'm saying I, I'm in on a, on a regular basis to try and to try and give as much of that back as I can. Good man. Yeah. And you and I uh, are committee buddies for the uh, the London branch of the IOH. So uh, yeah, everybody watch this space for an exciting 2024. Watch this space for sure. We have a we have some news coming out. Hopefully, it's going to be next week now. I think on the uh, on a, on aspiring managers uh, awards that we're going to re rekindle. the The date is now set for the, the beginning of March for the awards night, and hopefully, it's a night where we can bring uh, every single region from the IOH together for a bit of an IOH celebration and something that we can run in the heart of London. So, really looking forward to making that happen. Yeah, well, I can say for one that I don't need any more celebrations on the back of the fellows dinner, but uh, but there we are. No, I had a wonderful night last night. That was, uh, but that's a story for another day. Same question to you, Amy. Why did you say I'm in? So I'm a relatively brand new member, so this is very exciting for me. I've yeah just joined. I just joined the IOH a few months ago, and it's just a fantastic, fantastic organisation. It gives so much and. As Ben said, if I can help in any way to give back a little, uh, even if it's just my experience and my experiences within the industry and talking about that and where I think hopefully the industry can go, hopefully it will just potentially make some changes. That's what we're all hoping to do, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally to you, Alex, uh, why did you say I'm in? It was kind of a multiple of things like i for a lot of this a lot of the start of my career i always saw the ioh as something that was like very exclusive and i didn't quite know how to get into it initially um like where i when i used to where i used to work it there was quite a few members of the institute but i think i was also a bit nervous to ask and then a few years ago i ended up winning an award at an ioh sponsored event down in sussex called rising stars and uh, from there, it was like I sort of was like, actually, no, it's not an exclusive thing. And yeah, I kind of just want to sort of champion that and just sort of be like, it doesn't really matter what sort of background you have. It is it is something for everyone and something where you can be a part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. Well, you're all very, very welcome. So I think it's time to just get stuck into this now. And so we're, as I said, at the head of the show, we're going to look at the well-being in the kitchen, past, present and future. And my opening statement today, which is quite a philosophical one, is for everyone, well-being is a journey. The secret is committing to that journey and taking those first steps with hope and belief in yourself. And that comes from the very, very famous Deepak Chopra. So I'm just going to open with a a very open question and anybody can feel free to jump in on this. But what does well-being in the kitchen actually look like to you? Yeah, and I I think so I can, uh, when when you talk about the the past, the present, and hopefully the the future. I mean, the past and the present, I can I can speak wholly for, and then I can give you my my views on the on the future. I think as we go through through the past, and I think well being, I don't I don't think has really ever been uh, or, or has never never really been mainstream a, a huge focus in our in our world. I mean, I 
I started cooking in '91, so not a not a, not a crazy amount of time ago. But I think it had even it even improved slightly by then. I think there was a there was a badge of honor for the amount of hours that you could do. There was a, a badge of honor for the, the 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 lack of sleep that you needed. There was probably a badge of honor for the things that you needed to 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 be able to propel your body into doing these things, whether that be drink drugs or, or Red Bulls or anything else that was uh, that was there along the way. And I just don't think it was ever a focus. I think the it was getting people in as early as you could, sometimes keeping them there for as late as you could. There was no reason why why you shouldn't shouldn't work the sixth day uh, as and when it came up. And if the night chef went sick, it wasn't just a, a would someone would someone possibly please stay. There was a there was almost a um, a mantra that that someone would have to stay and do it. So I, I just don't think it ever came into the into the fore. And when we look back now, and and there are, there are certain places that, that are doing things really well, but there's there's still a lot of stuff around in the in the kitchens that that are a hangover from from that. And we we, we mentioned hangover after the fellows' dinner last night. So it's yeah. it's an interesting link for, for for quite a few people involved, I think. But I think uh, that the, the past was 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 quite shocking in lots and lots of areas. There's probably some great angel style but there's obviously some real some real horror stories out there uh from the past that we may we may touch on some but i think there's been there's been some right steps in the right the right direction uh, as we go through and i think ho- hopefully today we'll highlight so many organizations and and associations that are doing doing great things and at the forefront of that i think the ioh has uh, and it's interesting that we're talking about kitchens because i think when i joined the ioh uh, as, a, as a as a full member myself one of the things i was also asking was well, why would I join the IOH? Like it's it's a it's a hotelier GM style uh, organization, right? I mean that that they're they're the people that are involved in it, and oh how far we've uh, tried to come and actually made progress in that in terms of branching out into the other areas and bringing kitchens fully into the mix. Because I think if you go, you, you don't need to go back too many years to to see the the amount of members that were from a kitchen environment were were relatively small. And I think the more of us that are involved and the more of us that bring our experiences to that, the, the more chance we've got to develop even further as an IOH and within within wellbeing within that within that section. Yeah, I mean, I do. I've I've been in kitchens for a little while and it's there has definitely been progress. We have definitely moved forward. It is something we are talking about more. As Ben said, there's definitely that element when I started of well, I can do a hundred hours a week. I can do twelve doubles straight. I can, I can push myself, and aren't I amazing for doing it? And then mm. actually, not receiving any reaction other than, well, I've done it too. There wasn't any yeah. sort of element of, oh, that's fantastic, or you shouldn't be doing that. Other than those who don't work in the industry, your family and friends who are sitting there going, "You're absolutely mad," but within the industry there's just an acceptance that or at least there definitely was that that's what you should be doing that that was how you progressed your career that was how you were a solid member of the team you did it for those around you and for the good of the restaurant and it's a powerful thing but it needs to change and I think it is changing to some degree and hopefully in conversations like this we can move it forward again yeah, absolutely. Alex, you, you were also going to say something. Yeah, so I've I've been in hospitality for most of my life anyways, like from sitting in the back room uh, in the office when I was off sick uh, to then like sort of starting, starting young, basically. Uh, and I think there has been a very big change, but I think when it comes to well-being, it is very much a top-down situation. 
because nine times out of ten, when people are pulling those ridiculous shifts, it's because the person at the top isn't actually looking out for their own well-being and are stretching themselves too thin. And it's it's very much important to look at everything from the top down and be like, okay, so when was the last time as the head chef have you had a night off when was the last time that you you've taken some downtime and sort of making sure that that is as much of a focus and then from there it just then naturally happens because when everyone's feeling better everyone's checking up on each other everyone's making sure that they're all right and i think as going forward it's like making sure that from the top down well-being is a primary focus and it's not just a secondary thing and I think as an industry, we've definitely come a long way in quite a short space of time of that happening. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the, we absolutely, to, to move forward, you sometimes have to take a look back, right? And and actually acknowledge that this has happened. Acknowledge that the that it's not all sunshine and rainbows every single day. And that's never going to change. There's always going to be days that are, you know, better than others. But it's I suppose it's it's about setting the framework around that to make sure that, that, as you say, you're not wearing the fact that you're having to stay behind and do an extra few hours as a badge of honor. You're doing it maybe because you want to, but actually the business needs to come to the party in terms of setting that framework so that it is looking after pretty much as many people as it can. And I think you're right, Alex, when you say it's a top-down approach. I mean, if you're if you're a budding apprentice, commie chef, Demi chef, chef de party, sort of anyone that's kind of probably more looking upwards in terms of the the, the other people in the, in the hierarchy, and you see your boss doing 60, 70, 80 hours a week, you've got to be a brave, uh, a brave young commie that says, chef, do you mind if I only do, if I only do my, my, my sort of 37 and a half hours that are in my contract? Or do you mind if I only work a few hours extra this week? Because if you're, if your boss is standing there from seven o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock at night every day, it's it's a really difficult environment for you to go in and, and say that, and I think I think like we said, huge progress has been made. But I'm I'm currently training uh, apprentices with a few different a few different training providers to, to keep it nice and nice and vague. And I have some that turn up because they've been given the day off, they've been given the night off before, because some of them have to travel down to London. They come fully prepared. Their employer has has kind of given them some tools before they come because they know what the the lesson's going to be like. And I have others that turn up who left their kitchens at two o'clock in the morning and they're turning up for my session at nine o'clock, no way near ready for an environment. And that's just not part of it. So part of that is, is down to their their training. But from a well-being point of view, if you're finishing work at two o'clock in the morning and you're coming to an apprentice session on your day off, there's so many questions to be to be asked and answered, hopefully, uh, within that process. Mm-hmm. But the yeah, the top down in terms of you can you can set the structure and set the tone however you want. And sometimes we use staff shortages as an, as, a, as an excuse, and it's and it's a viable excuse at certain points. But I think when it becomes the norm, I don't think anyone anyone minds pulling an extra shift. I don't think anyone minds staying a bit extra, coming in a bit a bit earlier. But when you start doing that for what could be four, five, six hours a day, three, four, five days a week, at some point someone has to grab that, and it needs to be. The powers that be, so to speak, whether that's the the head chef, the GM, the HR, somebody needs to bring it all back in so that we're all all sort of playing in a pond that will that will help keep us all all on the on the straight and narrow in a in a, a well being mind frame for for many years to come, hopefully. Oh, most definitely. I think it's actually the responsibility of everyone, isn't it? I mean, it's it, I completely agree that it, there has to be a directive from above 
that is a strong directive that you know we're not going to accept that people are not being looked after as part of that but then it's everybody's responsibility within the organization to police that so to speak uh, as well you know and if you see something that isn't right then call it but then that's about the leadership and the culture creating a uh, an environment where people are confident enough to do that which all feeds into the actually the, the whole well-being piece because it's absolutely not going to you're not going to make any progress in this area if you're not setting a, a comfortable place for people to express themselves i think that's definitely true i think that's that's one of the sort of biggest issues is facing all of us is you can see things that aren't right happening around you or to chefs that you work with but can you come forward or are you then going to be seen as causing a problem or you know not being a team player and Mm. and that's that's a real a real issue that's that's where the wellness has to come from is from an ability to speak up and say actually yeah I don't want to work these hours or actually I think the way you speak to me is you know unacceptable but you can only say that if there's then a culture that allows you to speak up yeah yeah and I think I think within within my career I've been I've been the call out guy for quite a few different places that I've, that I've worked in whether it be for myself or for others and sometimes that goes really well and other times it it really doesn't right but I I still look at it and think well if, if I highlight I'd rather highlight it and be possibly looking for another job and, and to find my, my right place in the end. And rather than going, let's just go, go quiet and be, be quiet with the, with the masses. And, and I think over time, more and more people see, see that that's the way that we try and get stuff done. And I think people have always said, I'd rather say something and deal with whatever consequences there are. And I, I try and I always try and do it in a, in a respectful and a, and a mindful way for, for others as well. But if I, if I see something wrong and I call it out and, the people that I'm working with don't don't want to do anything about it, but it also means that when I when I make my my way to that managerial position, then this is just how we're going to work. And I think I think more people that have come through through that system. So we still have a lot of, and I'm, I'm not saying everything about about well being in a negative way is is due is due to I don't know everything in the past. So that at some point the newer generation will come. There's there's some there's some great young people now doing stuff uh, in an amazing way, and there's some other other young people that are, that, are, that still don't have have that as a as a proper way of, of looking but I think I think the more people that have come through it have seen the good and have seen lots of the bad it's it's definitely down to us as well to stand there and say well I'm now in charge of this environment and I'm going to set the tone and if I set the tone in the right way it, it, it will just have a, a knock-on effect for hopefully generations to come. I think on top of all of that as well like there is a lot of places and a lot of times where you've heard stories from mates on the place where they work and you know that it's not a sustainable a sustainable business like and i think a lot of the cases like if it's a high pressure environment where everyone's being squeezed for everything they can be is that business model something that is sustainable and like when you're looking at it it's like well if if you have to squeeze 80 hours out of someone who's on a 40 hour contract is your business the right thing to even still keep going? And I know that from stories that I've been told about places where people have worked, that it's actually changed my decision on where I'm going to eat myself. Right, yeah. I mean, that's not uh, even a con- something I'd considered is you know, the impact that that can then have into a, not just a reputation as a place to work, but as a reputation as a place do you actually want to go and feed into this as a consumer. 
you know, because you're, you're, you don't agree with their ways and methodology of doing things. Yeah. Like it's, it's like we can, we can say about promoting and being the change, but at the same time, we do have another way to vote on what restaurants succeed and it's with our own wallets and supporting the businesses that we feel passionate are doing the right thing. I think there's a couple of problems with that. One is the fact that everyone stays silent and historically everyone has stayed silent about how they're treated not within the industry as you say you hear horror stories and you say well I don't want to work there I don't want to work for those kind of people but from the public's point of view from non-hospitality point of view are we getting that information out there that these restaurants shouldn't get your patronage because of the way that they're treating their staff and I think that because the industry on a whole has stayed so quiet about certain chefs and certain kitchens that unfortunately they are continuing to succeed and that's that then encourages their behavior because well it's working and we're making money but it's it's a fantastic way of looking at things of not going to eat certain places because you know the the staff aren't being treated well um and it's definitely something i'm going to going to think about now from now on it'd be nice to have it up there along with sort of sustainability and all these other things that that we people talk about is that they don't want to go they don't want to go here if if they're using I don't know, meat or whatever from a certain source or wherever else imagine if we had the same kind of aspect around the way that you treat your staff like a five-star hygiene yeah. rating if you if you went up to the restaurant you were going to go to a brand new opening you walked up to the door and there was a one-star hygiene rating on the on the on the window I think you'd probably well, be going. Nobody to... puts that on the window, do they? No, so or or there or there isn't one, but it's all it's all online, so you can see it. there anyway, but if you were on your way to yeah. it and you found that out, imagine if you turned up at the at the front door and there was a sticker on the door that says our team members rate as one out of ten. I wonder a welfare that, rating. Yeah, I wonder if that would change your um because welfare is what is what we look at when it comes to animals and and all the other stuff that we have to do and we we put a lot of a lot of pride on sticking these stickers up to say look at what we've done and look at how we've ethically sourcing or how have you ethically sourced and and how do you ethically look after your your team i think would be a great a great sticker to put up on the wall yeah i mean imagine if uh staff could write TripAdvisor reviews suddenly restaurants i'm sure would take a lot more interest in how their how their staff were being treated if if it was out there in the public yeah Yeah, god we're Creating some business ideas today, guys. As long as you've got the receipts and you can prove your time and everything and it's all got like a back, like you can, as long as like, I think a lot of the time it can also, there's a chance of like hyperbole as well in that as well. So it's like, there's a lot of people say, yeah, I worked a hundred hours and it's like, did you really though? Like, But then there are situations where I've then heard, like if you hit, I've heard the same story from a few places more than once and I'm like, okay, if you if it's once, then it's a thing. But when there's multiple points, they can start to make a line. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think I think when you when you join any new place at the minute, and they they say, would you like to opt out of the of the forty eight hour working time directive? And everyone kind of goes, yep, because I'm a, I'm a chef, right? I, I'm a, I'm a chef. I'm in the kitchen, and I need to opt out of this stuff. And actually, if you if you take it back to why why is that in place? So it's in place to try and make sure that people are not are not overworking, are taking their breaks. I mean, if you look at the way that, uh, I go back to the apprentices, if you look at the the structure that these young people or, or new people to the industry are supposed to be in, they shouldn't be doing back-to-back shift, they shouldn't be starting before a certain time, finishing after a certain time. I think so many people just just sign wherever they need to sign to to make that, ha- make that happen and, and sign their contract. 
people then have them on site and before you know it they're doing whatever hours whatever hours are needed and i think like like we said before once twice a few times here and there we all know that christmas is busier than other times but a, a balance has to be has to be set up somewhere otherwise we get them in we train them up um we destroy them and then they then they go and find a job a job somewhere else and we saw that during i mean if you could say covid and brexit are the two are the two horrible words that we uh, that we all play around but but covid and brexit between them has seen so much so much of our work but workforce go somewhere else some because mm-hmm. they can't physically work here anymore uh, legally and others because they've realized that that the money and the and the maybe the the benefits they get from working with other places far outweigh sometimes what we what we were always always offering and i think if you are going to not that i condone it but if if people are being being driven to to the to excess if the rewards for that are also great over a short term period of time then certain people need additional amounts of money and uh, i think we've had uh, in- instances in lots of the places where i've worked where we would sit people down and say no we want to do the right thing and you're only you're, we're only putting you on 48 hours maximum and they say chef that's that's absolutely fine but just so you know i'm going to sign up to an agency and go and work somewhere else on top of what i normally do right, because I, right. I because i need i need the money for something but then i think yeah. it's, the best thing about that is you're having a conversation you can then go back to your your hr department and say look this guy, this guy, this chef's going to go and do these hours somewhere else. Surely it's better for all of us for this short period of time that we're talking about to keep it a bit more contained and controlled and we can put in regular breaks and whatever else. So I think, I think that the, the conversation around it is, is as big as the outcomes at the moment, because the more you find out about the, uh, the ins and outs of the people that are working for you, the more you can, you can have a tailored approach to every individual. Yeah. I mean, it's a, uh, it's, in principle, when you kind of there's all of these little nuances and uh, of things that you're always going to have different individuals can cope with different things as well, right? And they'll have different drive. And let's face it, if you you know some of the the old rules still apply. If you really want to make it in your career, then you've got a graft. But graft doesn't necessarily then mean you know be abused within an inch of your life. You know, that, I suppose that drive has to come from the, the individual to want to do that, not have it imparted on them. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a new opening a few years ago and my contract was uh, incredibly worded from a legal point of view. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said that your hours will be, I think actually my contracted hours were 60 hours. Wow. And it said you will not be expected to work more hours than this unless the company requires it and you will not be all bases and you'll not be expected to work evening shifts which are considered between 2 and 6 a.m unless the company requires it right and you will be given 48 hours notice unless that's not possible so basically this contract is not worth the paper it's bloody written on really because we're setting these i suppose boundaries with line one and then just ripping them down with line two Exactly. And that's, that's, I handed it to a friend of mine who's an employment uh, lawyer. And she said, you know, you cannot sign it and go back to them and say, you know, this is, I'm not willing to work under these sort of terms. Hmm. But she said, from a legal standpoint, they've nailed it. You know, this is this, this contracts allows for them to pretty much require anything from you. And, and that's, that's shocking. It's shocking that you can actually write it into a contract of effectively will will use you for the greater good of the company who cares about you and your well-being and that's that's shocking that you can still that you can draft a contract like that and you can expect people to sign it yeah that to me says that we we have still 
because I'm sure that's not an isolated case. And I am sure that that still goes on using the, the contract in, in kind of loose terms to try and basically demonstrate, look, you're going to have to be flexible in this role. And we're going to tell you what that flexibility looks like. But I think until there's this kind of realization from, I don't know, again, we're talking maybe the, the powers that be, the owners of businesses, uh, whatever, where they actually view the person as uh, a human, for want of a better phrase, rather than a contract. Or rather than just a, a you know a, someone who a basically comes a machine. In, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. Then until they start looking at it that way, then we're just going to be having this conversation over and over again, are we not? And Alex, actually, I'll, I'll come to you because you are a business owner. What, what's your view on that? I mean, you've talked very eloquently so far around everything, but yeah, as a business owner, what what can you do as a business owner to try and make things better in this space? I think. The way that I've got it working at the moment is, especially for the new restaurant that we've opened as well, like the person in charge isn't actually one of the owners. Just flat out, like the GM, who is an absolute darling, it's basically his restaurant. Like it's his to run. And I think that that's very important. It's someone that's removed, uh, it's someone who's removed from like the PLs and the overheads, but like his main focus is to A, make sure the team is okay and b run a restaurant and from it coming from that way it's it's been able to build a really good team that it's not just bonding over a traumatic service it's hey do you want to go get a beer on a monday uh, on a on a day when the restaurant's not open and or do you want to go but there's this event that's opening up at some point would you be interested in going or on my point it was like hey there's a potentially some vineyard event which who wants to go to it so it's i think it's kind of just making sure that you've got all the toys in order but also it's just making sure that the person who's sort of looking over the well-being of everybody isn't the person who at the end of the day is like but we also have to make sure that we're hitting this quota we have to make sure we're making this amount of money yeah i think that's an incredible point is it's where your priorities are lying right and obviously, as a business owner, of course, your priorities are the bottom line. And I think I think sometimes owners then put a pressure on their general managers and their head chefs to hit sort of certain targets financially. But as you said, it's for a GM or a head chef to be looking at, first of all, how is my team? Second of all, how is the profit? rather than the other way around because once you've got that as your first point is the baseline money everything else goes out the window oh yeah so i think uh going off of that it's knowing like it's also on that point as well is knowing that the restaurant is not going to catch on fire and burn down the second you step away from it and i think that like as like an overarching thing that is the owner looking after the restaurant and making sure that Oh, I need to be in every single day and every single minute, uh, which then also conflates to head chefs being there 80 hours a week, which then leads to your source chef being in every single service. And I think because of that, and it's the idea that you have to be in, otherwise it's not perfect, but then that completely negates the idea of having someone else in who can be trained up to do that role because you're not letting anyone take take the chance to learn the way like to learn that mistake so that they can be better and then from there it's like okay i can take some time off because everyone else has got it everyone's everyone knows what they need to do 
and you don't have to feel like you have to be there every single moment of every single day, which is definitely a lesson that if I had known eight years ago would have probably saved a lot of mental anguish. Mm. I, I had a head chef very early on in my start of my career who uh, was just absolutely fantastic, ran a phenomenal kitchen. Yes, we worked extra hours when was needed, but it always felt like it was a choice. And if we were short-staffed and people couldn't cover, he'd be jumping on the meat section. He'd yeah, There were services where, as the pastry chef, I would end up being on the savoury pass so that our head chef and our sous chef could jump on sections. And as a pastry chef, their basic philosophy was, well, you can make things look pretty on a plate, so we'll hand you the food. You put it on the plate and you call service. And that was phenomenal, that that ability to be like, well, actually, I'm going to not put the pressure on my team. But I remember having to call in sick for a couple of weeks and I was in floods of tears because I felt I was letting him down. I felt like I was letting my kitchen down. And he said, look, the, the business will run. It will yeah. run without me. It will run without you. It will run. We will find a way. You need to look after yourself and you need to prioritize your own health. And that's fundamental. And that was phenomenal as a junior chef to hear that from, from a Michelin star head chef who, yes, was pulling the hours, but made it clear he didn't expect it from his team. I mean, that, they're setting clear boundaries, right? And uh, can you share the name? Are you happy to do that? Don't worry if not. Oh, yeah. Mark Kempson at Kitchen W8. Yeah, he's an absolute, he will always be someone I will look up to. And if and when I ever own my own place, will aspire to manage my team and look after their welfare as well as he did. And there we are. There's a wonderful byproduct then of when it's when it's done well and right. And we're not, you know, we're, we're the business will acknowledge that we're we're not always going to have, you know, minimum hours and all of that kind of stuff. But when we do, we're all in this together. And if you don't want to do it, that's fine. We'll find a way. The business will run and we'll get through it. And funny you said Kitchen W8 there, because everything that you were saying, I literally last week had a chat with Phil Howard. Mm. and he was talking about much the same thing around you can't have like this this pillar at the top of a business who takes all of the the accolades without having a group of people that basically it's that person's responsibility to keep happy because when they're happy they they do their best work and when they're happy they'll they'll they will follow you and you'll have a situation whereby a member of the team is in floods of tears because they can't come into work but they really want to come into work because uh he says it i think his words were it's it's actually quite a humbling experience when you get that right mm. that you can you've created an environment where people just want to be there and do their best work and actually you can only get to that point through respecting the people around you and not dictating to them uh, that this is this is what you're going to have to do in order to be successful, and there's no other way around it. Yeah, and I think that balance element is is is, is so is so true. So go, going back to a bit bit of Alex's point, so he he has a he has a, someone that's maybe separate from the operation that's looking at all of the the financial side, and I've I've worked in a few recent places where the meetings that you would have about the environments that everyone was going to be working in was so, and we we all know that if you don't make money, you don't make profit. You're not going to be around for too long, right? So we we know that that's 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 the aim. But but at, at what point is? I mean, we talk about it with footballers, right? We have no issue with calling out footballers and say when is when is enough enough, right? When is 
when is a certain amount of money to make every year? Why why did you have to make another 15, 20, 30, 40% every single year, year on year? And you sit in these meetings sometimes and go, uh, guys, what about what about the well-being? What about the people? Because we're driving for revenue, we're driving for profit. And the third thing they talk about is payroll percentage more than the people. So how yeah. much more? What can we do? How can we change things? What else can we do to drive revenue and, and drive down? So it's always about how, how low can we get payroll percentage? The only way you get that done is, is, is either charging more for your, for your product or getting these people to work longer and, and harder. And they, they'll, they'll try and call it smarter and more productive and all those kind of things. But it's just how much more can we get out of these, of these people? And I think I was I was glad that we were so we were we were separated from the the the, the sort of I don't know the the restaurant managers and whatever in some of these some of these kind of meetings because you'd sit there going I feel I feel horrible in these meetings just talking about facts and figures and payroll percentages and drive things down when I know the guys of the guys have pulled another 50 60 hour week just because they have to and I think getting that balance balance right uh, and then and then letting people know that that's what you're doing is a massive stepping stone that we're still probably stumbling over as a, as an industry as a whole. Although that certain people are obviously doing it very well, and some are some are in in the archives with it as well. And I think one of the other things about driving revenue it, or putting the pressure on your staff, it's not just about how many hours people are working, but what those hours look like. Mm. And I think often, I mean, yeah, I I did this new opening a couple of years ago and. It was, yes, I was working long hours. That was, you know, it's a new opening that that happens. I've done several new openings. Uh, Goji is, in fact, my fourth. And you know, when you open a restaurant, yeah, there's going to be long hours. You're that, punishment, that's... aren't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's a terrible thing. It's they're they're fantastic and and thrilling and enjoyable, but they are they are exhausting. Yeah, brutal, and I. Right? Every time I, every time I promise I'll never do another one. I mean, this is my um, second one in this year, so. Oh yeah, and and the hours, the hours that you do have to pull are incredibly difficult, but it's not just. We started by saying, well, we're going to cap our services. It's it's a big restaurant. We're going to cap our services at forty five and ninety. Forty five for lunch, ninety for dinner. Hmm. And I popped in there the other day to catch up with some friends who still work there. And they're now doing 160 on a Saturday night. Right, right. But it's also being able to build up to that. Because if you try to go in at that to start off with, I bet it would have been carnage. But the restaurant only sits 60 at a time. So to do 160, the number of tables you're turning and the speed at which the kitchen is having to produce the food, the amount of running around the front of house having to do to relay tables to to kind of politely push their guests so that they fit in the sort of two hour time frame it's incredibly stressful and so it's not just about the hours that you're working but it's about the stress that you're then putting your team under and if you're then asking them to do 60 80 hours a week under those conditions it becomes it becomes draining and you just burn people out but i think it's where it's where some of those those horrible historical badge of honors come from right that the we we always used to say wow it's amazing i did i did 70 hours last week well i did 75 and people would also yeah. say well i we did we did 400 covers last night wow like how big's your restaurant oh it's a 60 seat like are, are, you, ins- yeah. are you insane like at some point but i think it's it, it's always driven from so if you've got a restaurant that opens this year 
you're already planning your your five year plan, and your your five year plan will in, will always include maybe I don't know twelve to fifteen to twenty percent increments. Like unless you're gonna, so we always we used to sit down and say, okay, so are we growing? Are we growing the team? Are we growing everything else around it? Is everything else going to grow in the same way, or are you just expecting the same team that you put together? to just do more and more and more and more as they get more established. And I think that constant pursuit, and I think there's a massive difference between how much you need to break even, because that everyone should know that, and the amount of kitchens I go into and say, okay, but how much, how much do you need to make today to break even? Because if you know that, that's at that point, you've you've paid all the bills, everyone, everyone's been paid, or everyone that you need that you need to give money to has got that. And everything else above that is your pure kind of profit line on, on ongoing. But no, no one's ever saying. I tell you what, when we do our P and L for next year, let's let's reduce our bottom line. Let's reduce our profits. Let's let's make less money because it'll be better for the team. I think it, I think it becomes secondary, whatever the whatever the right terminology is for the third and fourth and fifth of those. It's so far mm-hmm. down the line because what they'll do is say, right, we want to make more money. We want to make more profit. We want to drive down our uh, our pay to sell type thing with the, with the wages. Oh, and by the way, how can we should we give them fruit on a Tuesday when they arrive for work, or should we should we bake them a croissant on a, on on a, every other Thursday? That's got nothing to do with. It's got a little bit, but but nothing really in the big wide world to do with well being. How are we how are we getting these 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 topics in front of the people? So when your when your P and L is is kind of written for you in a, in in some ways, because if you ever if you ever produce one that says I'm going to make less, um, that's not going to fly. So how do we this constant pursuit of of more, more, more. When does it? When and where does it end? Yeah, I think that that I, once again it com- comes back to Alex's uh, one of his original points around the you know it has to come from the the top down, right? I mean, I suppose in some ways as well, the industry's hands been a little bit forced on this point because of the the staffing shortages that we are experiencing. Is that a lot of restaurants have had no choice but to go from seven-day operations to five-day operations or sometimes four-day operations in order to, well, sustain their business, their, but you know, by reducing their money-making capability, they have reduced their profitability uh, within that as well. But critically, I suppose that's part of the evolutionary process of the industry because now at least, you know, there's a lot of, restaurants out there where as an example you can go there and you can have a five day a a week job as opposed to well you're going to have a day off here and a day off there and you know but we are a seven day a week operation of course these uh, restaurants still exist and hopefully they are managed in such a way that that people are not getting rinsed because I think ultimately if you if you take advantage of people who care about what they're doing then ultimately they're they're not going to care you know, and then we get into this cycle that we've had, whereby people will question, "Am I am I in the right career? Is this what life is? Just me, you know, battering myself with hours uh, all day, every day." And I suppose that I'm gonna gonna have to cut this this chat to an end. I feel like we've still got an awful lot to discuss. But um... the only, one one thing I was going to mention, which I think is is really key in the in the world that we're currently living in, is that I think the cost of living crisis is now going to be a massive barrier for people standing up for what they what they believe in. Imagine if you're the the commie, the demi, the chef de party, the apprentice that wants to say something, but you're only really surviving 
now because of all the all the costs that have gone up on that on that job mm. that you've got. Your voice just got depending on who you are, and I can I can speak from experience. I was always I was always loud and a little bit a little bit brash and 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 said what I thought. And we know that's gone that's gone well and not so well in in in, in past. I think now when people are living uh, week to week, day to day, hour to hour type thing, I think the voice of the company and the voice of the people that run and direct that organization has to become louder and clearer because I think you need to be doubly brave now to be going, well, I'm not, I'm not happy with these working conditions. I'm going to leave because there's not always another job to jump straight into. And they're not, they're not always, the grass is not always, always greener type thing. So I think, Mm -hmm. I think a bit of our voice will probably be lost in in a lot of our workforce for those that can't afford to speak up. And, those of us that can need to need to carry their voice and, be, and still be making decisions that are the right decisions when other people maybe can't speak for themselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's probably a, a wonderful way to wrap it up for the moment. I mean, I think you, the, we talk about past, present and future. I think we've spoken a lot about past and present, maybe not necessarily about the future, because I think that's in motion uh, at the moment. I think the having conversations like this and having them frequently with as many people as possible will keep the focus on making the positive change uh, at the front of everybody's brains. Uh, I think it's important that we continue to have conversations like this. Yeah, I look, thank you so much, guys, for all of your input. I feel like we could probably talk about this for hours, to be honest. I think, I think there, needs, there needs to be a well-being part two, for sure. I mean, there's so, there's so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, I am game. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe that's we'll, we'll call. We'll park the past and present, and we'll focus on the future next time. Yeah, and even bringing in so, so add, adding in some of the some of the people that were highlighted in this kind of call, reaching out to those people and saying, look, you were highlighted. You're obviously someone that's doing it well. You've obviously someone that's had a massive impact on on Amy yourself. Like going out and going out and bringing some of those people into into further discussions could also be super helpful because I think we can we can speak yeah. about our own. This is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. But when certain people, certain companies get highlighted, uh, maybe the negative ones won't won't come on. But I think the, the the ones that we're highlighting from a positive point of view, it'd be great to get some of some of their inspirational words as well for sure. I think for for sure, I think it's absolutely important that we get behind the people who are doing good work and who care to to move this agenda forward. And I think it's also important that we call out the people who are not doing it so well, but don't hang them out to dry. I think we we've got to give them an opportunity to re-educate and uh, sure. and reform, as it were. And if they don't, then on the back of that, then you know they they kind of they'll find themselves at the bottom of the queue very quickly. Anyway, I think. Uh, in in the the marketplace that we're in, yeah, and I think going forward, I mean, we've got lots of IOH events and stuff that are coming up. So so working on a on a forum where you could have well being as a as a as a heightened part of all these other different things that we're doing, and possibly bringing up an a, an award of some description at some point. I mean, we have lots of awards that we go to, lots of areas where we try and highlight people that are doing great things in the industry, as we did last night with people like Harry Murray. But to be able yeah. to have a, a well-being award of some sorts, whatever that may look and feel like, I think, again, could be another another nice thing to be aiming towards. I'd say awards Absolutely. are good, but at the same time, we are a network. We are an institute where we hit. We uh, there should be a way for people to then be able to highlight into the institute being like, hey, this is how I've been treated. And sure. build it, building, building some systems in some way, shape or form where we can take it forward from here and be like okay let's find the people that aren't playing fair who aren't looking after their staff and let's start 
putting something like that together. Yeah. Well, as I said, sort of before we went live, the website Glassdoor is fantastic. It's just completely unutilized by our industry. But I have friends who outside of the industry who work in you know, finance and insurance and they will look up companies that they've gone to interview at on Glassdoor and see what people have said about working there. And it is, it's effectively a sort of trip advisor for staff. And that's fantastic. But we just don't, we don't utilize things like that. It's so ingrained in us that I think that we sort of stay silent, except to friends and sort of colleagues and whatever. But in the wider world, we stay silent on on the treatment that we go through and that's where we need to be more open and more honest and and call out these companies who aren't treating their staff with respect yeah and I, and I think keeping that within within an IOH framework at the minute I mean we all we every single member has a region so every single person has a has a chair and a committee so I think putting something in place that might be a uh, a way for people just to say actually so do we do we have a, do we have is- issues uk wide or do we have issues that are that are maybe in certain areas but but the ioh should also be a an area where people the membership should be able to write or or go on somewhere and leave their leave their information because if we if we had five or six reports back from a specific employer in london who who were who were members and had fellows and whatever else i think as an organization we and i think phil we've touched on this one before right we, we should be tackling those kind of people and what a great way to do it i mean having having an open forum where people could say this is how i've been treated i think would be a be another great thing to to kind of instigate and uh, lots of tech and stuff i'm sure would have to go behind behind the scenes to make sure that you're not just getting hundreds and hundreds of emails but yeah to highlight the really good stuff but there's some there's there's always going to be some challenging stuff out there, and it would be good for us to to be a force a force of nature in that in that regard. I think definitely if the IOH could set up something like that, that would be fantastic. Well, as, as you're as um, you're great at doing new openings, this sounds like a like a new opening, <laughs> new opening project. A new opening project, I think, is how we're going to call it. Ready for ninety hour weeks? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think for something like that, I think it would be hugely important for it to be uh, anonymous. Yep. To give people the, the, I suppose, the protection that they can speak out without fear of retribution, and of course, then if it's the odd one here and there, when, when you know so you just catch somebody on a bad day, that can happen. But if you, as you say, you're 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 getting this kind of flags that the same places are coming up all the time, multiple times from different sources, then that's maybe when we, I don't know, we need the IOH police. Yeah, and and I think I think it, it it will probably also highlight a load more great stuff as well that we that we think's going on, but we're not quite sure. So I think I think having a, a and, and I mean we mentioned it before, we're looking at doing the aspiring managers uh, awards in, in March next year. That that's a time for the the entirety of the IOH to come together, and maybe having we can have a segment within within that space to to kind of highlight some of these things we're looking at. But I think if nothing else, the IOH members at all levels should have a direction to, to put any views. So views on well-being, of course, because that's what the podcast is about. But on everything else that we are we are doing past, present and future, I think would be a great, a great way to happen. And anonymous for sure. But if you if you want to bring up something really specific with a with a specific employer, at some point we'd need to know who you are and probably probably deal with it in a slightly different way. But I think I think the more we can get from our members uh, about their experiences and what they want us to be doing moving forward to help with well-being, but other areas of, of things that we're going to focus on, 
I, I can't see a negative to that at all, apart from Amy being very busy with her with her new opening <laughs> of this of this of this great initiative. Thank you, Amy. <laughs> oh, you're welcome. I'm glad I volunteered for it. <laughs> what the whole podcast Excellent. was for. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look, uh, we're going to have to wrap this, guys. But thank you so much for your your time and, and opinion. I think uh, I'm I'm off to go and buy some domain names for all these business ideas we've we'll come up with today. And uh, yeah, look out for for maybe a part two on this in the in the future. And wish you all the very best with uh, your lives ahead. Thank fantastic, you for having us. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you very much. It's been fantastic. Take care, guys. Cheers. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. I mean, I mean. Today's episode of I'm In covered well-being in the kitchen and featured Alex Preston AIH, Amy Stoyle MIH, and Ben Purton FIH. A huge thank you goes to the IOH's very own Sonia Criswell MIH for artwork and branding and Leon Williams FIH for the music. To say I'm in and feature on a future episode, contact fail.street at instituteofhospitality.org and to find out more about the Institute of Hospitality or to join our hospitality family, please click the links in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and join us next time where we'll be learning whether net zero is even possible.